Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, uh, we are going to discuss a uh, handful of issues here. It's going to be a bit different than uh, what we normally do, where we have like one kind of major issue. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a grab bag. Uh, there's a few things that we thought were relevant to discuss this week. One is the Ontario election. The debate was last night. Um, so yeah, I have Alex Grant, uh, editor with Fightback, who's going to discuss that with me. We have there. There is also uh, somewhat connected to the Ontario election. There's a construction strike in Ontario, which is important. Uh, and then a couple other things. There is uh, a leadership review of the uh, inside the United Conservative Party of Alberta uh, for Jason Kenney, the leader of the UCP. Uh, that is the votes are being counted tomorrow. Uh, that's a very important debate. He's uh, not, it's not sure he's going <laughs> to get through that one. Uh, and then following that, there's the scandal with the Canada Revenue Agency. Uh, yeah, an absolute scandal where they're, they're letting the capitalists off the hook and they're punishing working class people uh, who received supports during the pandemic. So yeah, these are the issues that we are going to discuss this week. Um, yeah, and without further ado, I guess we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, like I said, Alex Grant is with me today to discuss these issues. Uh, yeah, welcome back to the show, Alex. Hey, Joel, great to be back on. Yeah, so Ontario election. We did a whole episode about this. I encourage people to listen to it if you want a bit more background. Um, but yeah, the first debate was last night. How was it? I didn't tune into it. Was it amazing, super exciting, addressing all of the major questions of working class people? Or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you John, tell us. You showed excellent, excellent judgment in missing the debate last night. Uh, the, the best thing I can say about it is that they reduced the time from two hours to 90 minutes. And uh, I, I would have been happy if it was only 60 minutes or 30 minutes. Uh, because I have to admit, after about 30 minutes, I started looking at my phone because it was incredibly boring and nobody was saying anything. And it looks like, on this basis, sadly, Ontario is heading into another Ford majority conservative government because the, the NDP is doing absolutely nothing to delineate itself from the Liberals. And uh, on the basis of generalized apathy, I think uh, all the polls and expectations are that the Ford Conservatives are going to win another majority. So it was totally miserable. And uh, I, uh, I resented being forced to listen to that debate for this podcast. Thank you, John. Okay, but is, is <laughs> Ford, does this mean that Ford has super high approval ratings? 
No, like, is he popular? <laughs> no, actually, everybody hates everybody. Okay. But, uh, so in terms of net approval, I think uh, Ford is at minus 18. So more people hate Ford than 18% more hate him than love him. Uh, but And Del Duca, the liberal leader with no lips, who looks like a bureaucrat slash, slash snapping turtle. Um, you know, we, we, you know, my partner was uh, looking at the screen going, oh, my God, where's his lips? Uh, I, you know, I know this isn't really deep political analysis, but it, it's just they're bizarre human beings and, and speak in this bizarre monotone language. And anyway, he's at minus 30. People really can't stand him. And uh, Horvath who, yeah, the leader of the NDP and, and the most experienced party leader of the bunch. This is like a fourth or a fifth uh, leader debate or election campaign. And uh, she's at minus 18. So, or, or minus 16 or something like that. She, so she's also unpopular and, and, and nobody likes any of the options. And, and I entirely know why, because they're not saying anything they're not addressing the crisis in society and and on that basis of generalized apathy well people are going to go with the devil you know so it seems like <clears throat> a pox on all your houses is <laughs> the general feeling um and uh yeah the yeah as we discussed previously that it's not that the establishment for i guess that that's what ford kind of represents establishment ford sort of government like represents like they're super popular it's not like they did a great job during the pandemic people are very pissed off you know there was mass uh, deaths in the uh, private nursing homes old folks homes and whatnot um yeah there's a lot of a lot of a lot of lot to hate the ford government about there's mass austerity measures implemented cuts to social services attacks on students campuses they legislated workers back to work it's just that <laughs> there doesn't seem people need that enthusiastic Option. So yeah, Ford might. Well, if the polls continue the way they are, Ford might win. Just because, what else are you going to do? Just based on apathy, you know. Um, Actually, you would struggle to realize that thousands of people were killed by the actions or and inactions of the Ford government. It was like that never happened. You know, that's. Yeah, that's just the the meat grinder of the social murder of capitalism. Eh, that's going to happen. Whatever. We all do the same thing, you know, and they all do the same thing. And so none of them cared to mention it. It's totally scandalous. And, you know, and Ford's campaign uh, sort of big message is build roads, build roads, build roads. The highways in the suburbs, the 413 highway and, uh, and other uh, highways and, and and that's his platform it's like build roads you know pave over farmland pave paradise build a parking lot and uh, and that's a big handout to his rich developer property developer buddies right because now they own sort of land that's just rural land right now not very valuable, you build a highway to it, then you can build uh, uh, subdivisions on it. So now it becomes very, very profitable land and they, and they give that backhander back to Ford. 
but you know his his message is to sort of create jobs building these high waves it's going to be billions and billions of dollars it's going to be an environmental disaster but uh you know he he, he might actually uh, uh win it on that basis well that's not good <laughs> incredible anyway uh ontario very important province most populous province in the in the in the country it's important that that we follow this nonetheless and learn the lessons and and communicate that to people in the labor movement and the movement at large of what we need to do to beat the right wing to beat the establishment to beat the capitalists um so yeah i don't know was there any anything else that was interesting in the debate uh for people to to take away lessons from or yeah well one of the a big hit by ford against horvath was saying that the conservatives have actually got the support of a number of unions and he was saying well horvath's out of touch with uh, working people working families didn't quite say working class he is not not doing the polyev thing yet but uh, and and now the conservatives are getting support of unions and I think the Boilermakers and uh, Leuna, that's Labour's International Union of North America, they're supporting the Tories on the basis of this construction boom and building roads and building subdivisions and stuff like that. They're, they're doing the, the old corporatist union thing of uh, just going jobs, 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 doesn't matter about the environment, doesn't matter about the rest of the working class, back to work legislation, uh, any of the attacks on the public sector, the right to strike, the right to organize, anything like that. But then when Ford made this attack on Horvath, because of the betrayal of some of these right wing union bureaucrats, let's be frank, because when Ford made this attack on Horvath, her answer was in basically nothing is that well we'll see who working class people support or working people support that's what she said rather than hitting back said all right you say you support workers all right join me in calling for card check union certification join me in calling for scab legislation actually join me in calling for a victory for the construction workers from Leuna who are supposedly supporting you. All right, so you'll have no problem supporting their strike for higher wages against your corporate developer backers who are giving you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to fund your election campaign. Join me in supporting those workers. Can you do that? No, you can't because you're with the bosses, you're not with the workers. Did Dvorvath say that? No. No, she didn't say that. She said nothing because she's afraid and she's a reformist and will not fight capitalism. Okay, so the liberals, this Dale Duker guy, who nobody really knows who much about him, <laughs> uh, they're, they have made, well, a bit of waves in the sense that they, they're saying they're going to increase the minimum wage to 16 bucks. He said that he was going to put forward... I guess he's trying to capitalize a bit on that $1 thing. <laughs> that, $1 transit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Doug Ford said $1 beer. He's doing $1 transit now. Um, but, I mean, I, I, that idea, if you don't pay that much attention to politics, I take transit in Toronto. Like, that makes that that's on the surface. I'm like, great, that would be awesome. I'd save money. So, obviously, 
the devil's in the details. <laughs> the liberals are not our friends, but they're very crafty at uh, presenting themselves like Trudeau as like the friend of the working class and like how they're going to improve your living conditions. I'm just wondering if that came up and that these things came up in the debate and how the NDP differentiated themselves. I know that Duca says he opposes Bill 24 as well. I don't know. Did this come up in the debate? Like how are, because yeah, I, I could see that if the NDP don't seem any different, then what's the hell is the point, right? Which I think says a lot about the polls, which I believe NDP and the liberals are, well, either neck and neck or the NDP is even third in a lot of the polls, uh, which is a collapse from the last election. So I'm just wondering if like, you know, the liberals constantly do this. They, they kind of pretend during election time. Uh, or put forward a few things, and then the NDP don't successfully show how they are different, um, which leads either the Conservatives winning because the NDP can't rally the vote, or the Liberals win on, and then and then break all their promises <laughs> once they're elected, like the the the, the previous Liberal government in Ontario uh, or the federal Liberals. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Did any of that come up in the debate? The Bill 124, the 1% wage cap, which ends up being a 5% wage cut with inflation. Yeah, that came up a few times, but very weakly from Horvath. And actually, the one who dealt with it the best was Mike Schreiner, the Green leader. And uh, he, he actually probably had the best debate, but the Greens are very marginal. And the reality is, yeah, you asked whether the NDP delineated itself from the Liberals. But for a anti-conservative voter, there was absolutely nothing to choose between the Liberals and the NDP. Yeah, actually, I think what would pr probably happen if if you didn't support Ford, you would think the Greens were the best, but you're not going to vote Green because they don't have a chance, and then and then you're just going to vote Liberal NDP depending on which one's most likely to defeat Ford, right? And yes, and you've got Del Duca putting forward this uh, Bucker ride. And, and that's about as feasible as Bucker Beer from uh, Doug Ford in the last election. He Actually, Del Duca has not put enough money in his election platform to achieve Bucker Ride. So it's, it's already a broken promise. I'll be amazed if it happens. Well, it's definitely going to happen because the chances of the, the Liberals winning the election are very low uh, at the moment. And there's absolutely nothing that's likely going to happen in the next couple of weeks that are going to change that equation. Like the most that could possibly happen would be a minority liberal NDP government. But I think, you know, and, then, and a new coalition to yet again underline the point that there isn't much difference between the NDP and the liberals. There, there is in terms of class base. Yeah, the liberals are the party of Bay Street, the party of uh, big business uh, and whereas the NDP is based upon the trade unions but in terms of appearance and uh, that you, you wouldn't be able to put a dividing line between the two so nobody's attacking capitalism and people are going to be incredibly disengaged and dissatisfied until somebody does and and that is the contradiction in our society. There's incredible anger, people see the crisis, nobody's getting up and off offering solutions. Yeah, so I feel like the current moment we're seeing is a bit like the calm before the storm, is that the crisis has really clarified things. 
it's very obvious in most working class people's minds that their living conditions are getting worse. It can't be denied anymore. It's very obvious, especially with inflation. Uh, housing, uh, the cost of just gas, basic goods, <laughs> goods and services. Uh, yeah, pretty much in every way, uh, working class people are, are paying more to live and they're, and people are realizing it. So it's clarifying, but the reformist left, the electoral reformist left, whatever you want to call it, is, is still is a bit scared to actually point out what the left has <laughs> is known for is saying, well, this is part of the cap. This is because of capitalism and working class people need a different system. And that's really what needs to happen. And we will keep arguing that and the, the labor movement, the left needs to <laughs> rediscover that tradition. And until the le we do that, until the movement does that and openly fights for a new system, it, yeah, it is unlikely to really enthuse many people during an election. So, um, yeah, well, you know, people might be a little bored by the Ontario election, but I think that there is a negative lesson here for us to draw for the movement is unless you oppose capitalism, unless you, you, you enthuse people about the fight for a new society, it will infect everything you do. And Horvath, I think, is a good example of that. I watched the announcement of their campaign. Boring. Quite boring. Doesn't <laughs> and I think she's like a bit. She seems a bit nervous because she she's trying to find that balance of how you can say something that won't offend capitalists but will enthuse workers. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. You know. You, you, so yeah, you need to be. And and I think more and more working class people are looking for someone who isn't afraid to lead a class war. Ultimately, they want that. Um, Anyway, that is a lesson. The bold—you need that bold sort of message uh, and leadership. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you have anything more to say about the Ontario election. Um, there is—you did bring up something about this construction strike and the, how the construction union. There's a couple unions here now supporting the Ford Conservatives, which is incredible that their union supporting the not only the Liberals. It's—it's it's not that out of uh, the ordinary for 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 union support the liberals but like for union support the tories especially with doug ford that's incredible it shows extreme degeneration in the labor movement i think that's been happening uh, over the decades but yeah this is connected to this construction strike so i don't know you want to tell us a bit about the construction strike and then we can kind of get into the the question of the union supporting the conservatives and why they're doing that and uh yeah and i guess what the lessons are from this strike yeah, it's, it's an extreme dialectical contradiction that the, the most vociferous area of class struggle right now is in the construction industry, which, so we've got the Luna, something like 15,000 workers, and uh, they are, uh, I think they're drywallers, they're uh, various, and framers, and, and various other important jobs in the construction industry. You've got the operating engineers, who most notable are the crane operators. They're on strike. And then you've got the carpenters who do all the woodwork. Uh, vital part, and I, th I think it's um, something in the realm of 20,000 workers going on, on strike currently. And, and the issues are wages. Wages above inflation. And, and we had a show about inflation about a month or so ago. So comrades can go back and listen on that. And, and we said, look, there is an organic link between inflation and strikes, right? 
So at the I think the last inflation figure was 6.7% in Canada. I think it's like 8% in the United States. And and this trip, you know, and, and workers demand to keep up with the cost of living. And this was in the election campaign. They never used the word inflation, they used cost of living. And and then they got had all these petty little things that people could save costs of living. Let's talk it what it is. It's inflation. It's inflation from money printing. It's inflation from corporate welfare. That's where it comes from, right? And work, it's hidden austerity, right? You either get the austerity through direct cuts or you get the austerity through printing money and everything getting more expensive so people are net poorer. But the 1970s, the classical period of inflation, and it was also the period of strikes internationally and and where it's uh, broken out is yeah very interestingly in the private sector traditionally the public sector is a lot stronger the union concentration in the uh, in the public sector is more than twice that in the private sector in canada so it's interesting that it's actually breaking out in the the private sector and the construction industry because a large part of the speculative boom in the recent period has been in the construction industry. And these construction bosses have been making billions, billions and billions. And yes, and Ford is building roads to give them even more billions. And they give him a little backhander. But rather than fighting these bosses, well, these unions, yeah, they're far to the right of the, the, the other unions. Rather than uh, fighting these bosses, they're, they're hand in hand with them. They're politically hand in hand in them. They're supporting the same bleeding government that legislates workers back to work and, and attacks workers left, right and centre. But, but then they're on strike against them for, for better wages. So here is the dialectical contradiction. And, and we've been, you know, through the uh, picket lines mean do not cross campaign, we've been uh, organising uh, solidarity with these workers, trying to reach these workers trying to have some of these political discussions about how you shouldn't support the Conservatives. Uh, it's actually that they, the bureaucracy tries to put a wall so that the community can't actually talk to the rank and file workers and have these political discussions. But it is vital that these workers win. An injury to one is an injury to all. A victory for these workers against inflation will be a confidence builder for the generalised working class. And so we must support them. The entire labor movement, the entire working class must support these workers. And, uh, and let's uh, hope they get a good victory because they're, they're in a good bargaining position, to be honest. There's a labor shortage and uh, the construction bosses are making billions. So every delay in construction is costing those bosses money. So uh, let's, let's hope they get a good result. <clears throat> okay, yeah, very important strike, but yeah, not uh, without challenges and problems, political problems, I suppose, uh, supporting the conservatives. Conservatives are not a friend of the, the workers, and yeah, as you mentioned, the, cons the conservatives don't support the construction strike, so you end up having this contradiction in terms, uh, and I think that the uh, what, what is needed, we need to revive this, that the union... Unions are not just fighting for their own members, right? This, the, the question of solidarity and fighting for the interests of the working class as a whole is of fundamental importance. 
Like that is what Marx argued. That is what socialists argue. And that actually has been a tradition in the labor movement for a long time. And it's been eroded. And it's been eroded by capitalism and by labor leaders who accept capitalism. Um, so yeah, this strike is a inspiring strike. It's the workers are in a good position to win. Um, and, you know, we need to, but every strike uh, poses an opportunity to discuss <laughs> uh, what is the best way to fight for the interests of the, of the working class, not, not just the construction workers. And also I, I would say this sometimes, I think it's opposed incorrectly that, oh, but we, if we, we support the Ford government, for example, then they'll do construction projects, which is for our benefit. I think that's actually entirely incorrect. I think the Unifor's done that with regards to auto manufacturing. They've said, oh, we need to support this. We did a deal so that we take some cuts and a two-tier thing, which will keep jobs in the country. It's tying the interests of the workers to the capitalists, which, which if you look at what Unifor did in a number of auto manufacturing plants, a number of them are not there anymore. <laughs> They're not open and they lost thousands of jobs. It didn't save the jobs. So it's incorrect to tie the interests of the workers to the interests of, well, the conservatives or the capitalists. Um, and that, yeah, the construction workers need to, uh, well, rely only on their own strength and not support the, the conservatives. And yes, the working class as a whole needs to rally around this strike. And we need to uh, emphasize a solidarity and, and a fighting for the interests of the working class as a whole, which means not supporting the conservatives, uh, which, as we've already mentioned, enlisted they, the anti-working class agenda that they have. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's my I, I haven't looked into the strike or followed it as closely as you have. But that's my initial thoughts about it. I don't know if you have anything more to say about the construction strike before we uh, we move on. Well, I think the uh, the leaders of these unions are going to have trouble keeping a lid upon the consciousness of the workers. That is a saying that uh, every strike is like a small revolution and a revolution is like a strike of the whole of society. And working people come to a revolutionary consciousness on that picket line and no bureaucracy can, in the final analysis, stop that consciousness. So we must reach these workers and generalize those lessons that we have a class interest in supporting each other, that the workers have got more in common with each other than we have with any of the bosses, whether it is the construction bosses or their government under Doug Ford. And, and, and actually, at the end of the day, we need to fight against private production for profit off the backs of working class people, no to class collaboration and for a class struggle to bring down right wing capitalist governments and also expropriate industry, that workers make these houses, workers make all those profits, workers should own and run it, democratic workers control nationalization of the commanding heights of the economy. Yeah, that's a socialist approach to these things. I think, you know, socialism means workers control. It means the workers decide. And construction workers, I mean, does the boss ever come to the construction site? Do they even really know what's going on most of the time? It's the workers themselves that are running this. So, yeah, I think 
Um, yeah, nationalization of the big developers, uh, workers' control of industry. Uh, we need that needs to be argued uh, in the movement as an independent way instead of relying on the the bosses, relying on the bosses' governments. Um, yeah, but moving on here. Um, so yeah, I would I would just like to take a short commercial break before we move into the second half of the podcast. So yeah, this is a big couple of weeks for Fight Back. Uh, we have our National Congress coming up uh, this weekend, which is looking like we're going to have upwards of 30 uh, people in attendance, which will be yeah, our biggest... Sorry, 30. 300 people in attendance. <laughs> Mind blip. Uh, which is the biggest Congress that we will ever have had. It's our first in-person Congress in three years. It's going to be a very big, very inspiring event as... Well, the Ontario election show is not very inspiring as the movement is sort of not, the movement's in a bit of a lull in Canada. Uh, we are advancing, the Marxists in Canada are advancing. For our Congress, we have from, we are part of the International Marxist Tendency. We have Fred Weston coming from London, from the international, uh, our international center. Uh, he will be visiting us. First, he is in Montreal. We have, and I'd like to appeal to everyone to come out. We have a couple of events here with Fred speaking. We have one this week, Thursday, May 19th in Montreal. It will be take the form of a book launch, uh, which is a book that the IMT has produced, The Revolutionary Legacy of Rosa Luxemburg, the Great Marxist Martyr of the German Revolution, uh, which will be at the John Molson Building of Concordia University at 1450 uh, Guy Street, Montreal, room 3.210. So yeah, please show up to that event that's this Thursday this Thursday at seven o'clock um, and the de- yeah the details you can find online uh, and then we have next week we have Fred fall following our Congress we have Fred Weston speaking at an event on Wednesday May 25th in Toronto and the topic of that event is Fred will be bringing to us the lessons from the 1984-85 British miner strike uh, lessons for workers in Canada. Now, if you're unfamiliar of this, uh, this was a key pivotal moment of the class struggle uh, in the UK, in Britain, uh, where the the miners went on strike for 13 months. Where there was there was mass class battles, mass pickets. This this is put on by the picket lines mean do not cross campaign, which we talked about previously. And and the main thing is the things that can learn from this is hard pickets. There was <laughs> running battles with the police. Uh, it's very quite inspiring event. I mean, it eventually went down in defeat, which, which there are many lessons from that as well for us today. But it was an inspiring mass strike movement against the hated government of Margaret Thatcher, the conservative government of Margaret Thatcher. Um, so yeah, that will be uh, in Toronto at U of T in the Oise building, uh, room 2212, which is yeah, at 252 Bloor Street West. So yeah, I appeal to you to also come to that event with Fred Weston speaking. I mean, Alex, I don't know if you have anything else to say about the British uh, miner strike. You are British yourself, so well, you probably actually, know much more about it than me. I, I remember being a 10-year-old kid going house to house uh, getting uh, food donations, uh, cans of soup and the rest of it for the miners uh, with, with my mum. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a uh, revolutionary mother. So uh, I, I got a good red upbringing. And, uh, and, and this was the miners strike was in the miners villages was a revolutionary situation. It totally and it was civil war. There was 
pitch battles between tens of thousands of strikers and cops on either side. And the miners had developed this tactic of the flying picket. So they would take workers, take strikers to the most important picket lines and turn up with thousands of strikers to, to, to bring down uh, production. Uh, really vital. And the state mobilized all its forces. Thatcher used every trick in the book to defeat the miners. They, yes, in these fights, miners were even killed. And there was also that uh, they utilized the media, deliberately doctored footage, BBC, you know, BBC, impartial, professional. Hell no. No, it was the propaganda arm of the British state uh, manipulating the news to vilify the miners, isolate, defeat them. Sadly, the miners were also isolated by betrayal of the rest of the labor movement. There should have been a general strike to support the miners. You know, it was the miners in 1926 that triggered off the British general strike. Uh, but uh, and the miners in 84 should have also triggered off a British general strike, but the betrayal of the labor leaders. That's yeah. So there's there's huge lessons here, revolutionary lessons, and uh, and and we can really sort of learn from that in uh, our struggles today and in, de in defending picket lines today, and uh, and the struggle for socialism, the struggle for workers' democracy. So it's, it's going to be really really interesting event. Yeah, next Wednesday, uh, OISE U of T. I uh, really recommend that people come out. It's, it's, it's going to be uh, very important. Yeah, so please make sure that you come out to these events uh, uh, this week in Montreal and next week in Toronto uh, with Fred Weston. Um, moving on uh, again, uh, we'll list the subscribers that we've had over the past week. We've had 12 subscribers to our, our uh, to fight back, or sorry, we have... We had 10 subscribers to Fight Back magazine and two to La Riposte Socialiste, our French uh, uh, paper. So yeah, uh, thank you to Lindsay, Preston, Joan, Rahul, Hijal, Celine, Roderick, Angela, Rana, Davish uh, for Fight Back and Marie-Claude uh, and Olivier for La Riposte Socialiste. Uh, yeah, we are advancing. We're, we're increasing our subscriber base all the time. We, we, we highly encourage that you go to our website at marxist.ca or in French at marxist.qc.ca and become a subscriber to the Revolutionary Workers Papers in Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, support us, give us an ongoing monthly donation that really helps us uh, become a solidarity subscriber, really helps us uh, uh, continue our work on a sustained basis. So yeah, getting back into it. Well, the next topic that we want to discuss is this uh, United Conservative Party leadership re review uh, in Alberta. Um, so yeah, I guess I can introduce this. This is the voting is being the votes are being counted tomorrow, Wednesday, May eighteenth. Uh, this is about the future of. Uh, well, not just Jason Kenney, <laughs> possibly the government. <laughs> uh, Jason Kenney is the premier, the United Conservative Party premier, absolutely hated, scandal-ridden, corrupt uh, government of the oil bosses, uh, came to power in the middle of a crisis, oil crisis, uh, which uh, had plunged the Alberta government massively into debt. And of course, Kenney was not 
prepared to take any measures against the capitalists uh, who were being penny pinchers, who were doing mass layoffs of tens of thousands of workers, but but a resolve to make the workers pay for the crisis. So this has been last three years of the Jason Kenney United Conservative Party government, brutal attacks on all layers of the population, students, uh, nurses, teachers, uh, and yeah, like I said, scandal after scandal. So yeah, they are massively unpopular, which has which is represented by the fact that the polls show that if election was held tomorrow, uh, the Alberta NDP, uh, which is <laughs> not usually that popular, I mean, lately has been, but in the history of Alberta has sort of been this, like, you know, considered this uh, fringe party. Uh, the Alberta NDP would win a massive majority it's upwards of 50% of the vote in some of the polls. Uh, they would win a huge majority uh, next to Jason Kenney, who might probably get under 30% uh, and the UCP. So this has led to an internal revolt inside the United Conservative Party. And this is representing in the leadership review, which for a lot of leaders, leadership review is like a rubber stamp. It's like, good work, 80, 90% approval. Uh, it's generally considered that if the leader doesn't get a high approval, like at over 60%, 70%, they should resign. They need to command the support and the respect of the vast majority of the members. If you get 50, 55%, like really, <laughs> actually in 2005, Ralph Klein resigned when he had just 55% of the vote in a leadership review. So, uh, I mean, by all estimates, and by the polling, it doesn't seem like Jason Kenney has that going into this review. So uh, his main, I guess, opposition is coming from Brian Jean, who's won a by-election, is now sitting in the parliament, and he comes from the ex-Wild Rose party that merged to, with the Conservative Party to create the UCP and was sidelined by Kenney. He comes from the traditional sort of uh, more, more right rural populist tradition in Alberta. And... Uh, yeah, Kenny has claimed that the lunatics are taking over the asylum, <laughs> which actually he's certain, which is funny if you're not in Alberta, because it definitely seems like Kenny is part of that. <laughs> he's sort of Trumpian. Uh, but uh, yeah, it makes a certain, he makes a certain point, like the, the fringe right, and Brian Jean is sort of representative of that in Alberta, is like a bit nutty. Um Anyway, yeah, he rigged the, the there's a big question of uh, the voting process. It's been a massive debate in Alberta. He rigged the the, the process last time when he beat Brian Jean, actually. Uh, and he is rigging this. He's rigging it all again. It's very obvious. Were they going to do an in-person? Uh, they were going to do an in-person thing. And they moved it online, right? Yeah, and they moved it online because too many people showed up, <laughs> which I'm not sure why online. Uh, anyway, uh, and so there are m uh, massive accusations of vote rigging. Uh, the general thing is if he doesn't get over 60%, he probably should resign. That's what everyone's saying. Uh, there's a article in the Calgary Herald saying, well, he'll probably get 58 because if he gets a, if he gets over 60, everyone knows it's rigged. So he's probably going to clock in at 58, which everyone will know it's rigged anyway, but then he can justify staying on. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, uh, there's election, the Alberta election is in a year. So this is uh, the main capitalist party in Alberta trying to get their house in order so that they can beat Rachel Notley. The polls do show that if Brian Jean leads the party, that they will 
be neck and neck with the NDP and they'll kind of scapegoat Kenny for all of the problems. And there is an oil boom in Alberta now because of the high price of oil, which is like a total fluke, <laughs> I think, saving them, uh, uh, not saving Kenny, but potentially saving the UCP if they, they're capable of scapegoating him. So yeah, this is this is the UCP leadership review. Um, there's a lot of context here. There's a lot of ins and outs. Alex, I don't know if you have anything to uh, say about this. Well, Alberta is very interesting in, in that previously it was a 40-year conservative dynasty. And prior to that, what was it, another 40-year social credit dynasty. So it was, you know, redneck, right-wing uh, Canada, Canada's Texas, the oil patch. And it was viewed that uh, class politics would never play a role in Alberta. But then you had a 2015 crisis in the oil patch and the rise of the Alberta NDP and, and, and class politics, which then the reformist leadership of the NDP betrayed in government, were defeated, and but the, it hasn't gone back to the previous uh, dynasty. Now, so the conservative movement is in various degrees of crisis. You know, one of the, they say the precondition of revolution is a split at the top. So here you've got the conservatives you know, split between uh, the, the, you know, the, the lunatics and the double lunatics, I guess, um, over the, fighting over the asylum. You know, when Jason Kenney is supposedly the sane man in the room, then that's really a room you need to get out of very quickly, um, because who else is there? Uh, and it's, you know, and you've got these far right elements, you've got the people behind the convoy, you know, you've got all of that. But you've also got the Alberta working class, right? Us in Eastern Canada, you know, people are used to sort of like looking down on Albertans being right wing and redneck. In fact, Albertans know how to fight. They do know how to fight. And yes, you've got a reactionary base, but you've also got a working class base desiring of fighting. There's been wildcat walkouts in the healthcare sector. Our comrades were involved in that, uh, helping to organize those wildcats. And and the working class is the so the elephant in the room that is uh, shaking everything up, and the crisis of capitalism is shaking everything up. That just shows you that even in a place like Alberta, there can be revolutionary working class movements, and we shouldn't be elitist. We shouldn't look down upon people. In fact, you know. Alan Woods likes to quote the Bible, uh, British Marxist, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Alberta can very well be an instigator of that struggle. And all of this stuff about the corruption of Kenny just shows that uh, it doesn't matter what the representatives of the ruling class do. They're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. If they ditch Kenny, it's a crisis. If they keep Kenny, it's probably a bigger crisis. And then, you know, and then there's going to be workers movements. Maybe the NDP gets elected again, but it will be another regime of crisis that will face less left pressure from the working class. So those this is just one symptom of a generalized period of crisis that really started with the collapse in oil prices in 2014. 
and the story has not ended by any means we are we are you know we are in the middle of the book we're in the first half of the book of the struggle of alberta workers and it's something we need to keep very very close attention to and it's not a surprise fight back the international marxist tendency it is one of our fastest growing areas edmonton calgary red deer you know lethbridge other places we've been growing because radicalized youth and, and young workers aren't interested in the milk toast reformism and the capitulation to the the pipelines and oil bosses by the ndp leadership they're looking for a revolutionary alternative and so we've been growing very quickly and so you know, we, we see the sort of like people who write into our website uh, alberta is over represented by a head of population by a long way just in correspondence that we get so there are big events in preparation in alberta <clears throat> yeah big time um I, you can see it the radicalization of young people and young workers in alberta i think is ahead of the rest of the country Be precisely because and this is a materialist sorry because of the material situation it's a crisis of the capitalist system uh, everything that was true in the past the high oil prices the good jobs and all that stuff that acted as it kind of depressed the class struggle is now turned into its op has turned into its opposite and has created an entire political crisis which is radicalizing a whole generation of, of young people in Alberta. <clears throat> and we're seeing that um, definitely. So I, I did want to touch on one thing. I think a mistaken approach of the, both the NDP in Alberta, Rachel Notley, and the labor leaders has been this, this, this horrible like government that's like a, just attacking everyone and they don't have any they don't have a solution actually they don't have any and actually the nd in particular the ndp uh but the but also the unions that have basically been saying well we'll wait for the next election uh so you let kenny rule and continue to rule uh until the next election and and of course the the high polling numbers for the ndp i mean jesus christ the alberta ndp are leading in calgary if you understand that, Calgary is the basically the the bastion of cons the conservative movement in Canada, uh, and the NDP are to be leading in Calgary. There is something seriously messed up in Alberta. Uh, Who, who'd have thought the NDP yeah. would be stronger in Calgary than it is in Toronto? Yeah, that shows uh, something that Marxists have said for a long time. Uh, you can't write off the working class in any area. Uh, the crisis will force workers to, 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 to come into their own and start, you know, uh, uh, moving to transform society. And I do believe that the popular NDP represents that to a certain degree. Um, shouldn't overblow it. But yeah, the the strategy of the both the labor unions has been to kind of, they, they've unfortunately haven't channeled this mass anger into a mass movement to stop the government in its tracks and even to bring down the government. I believe the Jason Kenney government would be brought down in a heartbeat if you had a mass movement. But instead, there's been a series of bad deals, actually. They've accepted cuts, the unions. They've accepted it. They've or signed, well, which is essentially a cut, like a 1% wage increase, <laughs> which, is, which is a cut in times of inflation. Mass cuts to the universities uh, wage decreases, 0% or less, uh, have been largely accepted by the labor movement. And the whole thing is, oh, well, we'll reverse it when the NDP get in. No, 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 no. Big, big mistake for a number of reasons. Well, the conservatives are actually 
I, I, I think there's a layer, there's obviously a layer of them that are attempting to carry out a palace coup. They're going to take J- Jason Kenney out, put Brian Jean in, and the polls show that actually he would stand a much better chance to beat Rachel Notley. Uh, and if, in that case, Rachel Notley won't necessarily win. So you need to you, you you can't rely on the election. And then also, as Alex mentioned, a Rachel Notley government. Yes, of course, they would be better than a UCP government. No one's doubting that. But if you remember the last Rachel Notley government, what did they do? They basically betrayed on the question of oil royalties. They did not increase royalties on oil companies. They said that they would review it, and then they decided not to. So then, guess what? They didn't have any money. The state had no money. So what did they do? They implemented public sector wage freeze. An NDP government. So, yes, they're not as bad as a Jason Kenney government. And they supported pipelines, too. And they supported pipelines. They bent over backwards. They bailed out the oil companies, actually, which is actually somewhat connected to the point that we raised about the the construction workers' unions supporting the conservatives. Uh, it's, it's the whole thing. You tie yourself to capitalism. You end up accepting horrible situation. So, yeah, the ND, an NDP government would not be a government that is necessarily very friendly to working class people. They would tend to bend to the capitalists. Uh, That's what the last NDP government in Alberta did. And so the general point that we're trying to raise is we need a mass movement. Either way, any either way you slice it, whether you want the NDP or not in the next election, uh, you should, you know, you should want the, the UCP gone and the NDP is the best option to do that. You need to build a mass movement to fight against Jason Kenney, to bring down the government, to stop the attacks, to fight against Brian Jean if he becomes the leader, you know, to and to, if the NDP gets elected in the next election, to hold them to account, to pressure them from the other side, to make sure they don't bend to the pressures. And that's what working class people should rely on their own means of struggle. And we need a movement, a mass strike movement. I do believe that you could have easily a mass strike movement in Alberta, probably more than anywhere else. The anger exists. It just needs an ounce of leadership. Uh, And that's a big point that Marxists, that we always emphasize. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build that revive ultimately that that tradition of 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 class struggle unionism of of yeah of of, of basically fight taking the fight to the capitalists and their governments and not relying on this uh, electoral uh, uh, machine right uh, uh, we don't say ignore the elections obviously we discuss them all the time and you do have to vote you should vote in the elections but the, to to rely on that is an entire a huge mistake so yeah really uh, I think yeah we need to build a mass movement right in Alberta uh, a, a mass strike movement a student movement even we didn't we didn't talk about this but they had a student strike at the University of Calgary <laughs> it was it was small it was in one department but they donned the red square can you believe it? Students in Alberta taking inspiration from Quebecois students? Who would have thunk it? That's the class struggle. It's international. So I believe this, the, 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 uh, the, the anger is there and people want to fight. It just needs a point of application. It needs some leadership. And that's what fight back uh, in Alberta and in Canada and internationally is fighting for, a fighting leadership for the working class. Um, so yeah, I think uh, well, due to a bit of lack of time, and I think we've covered this more or less. You, you should go to our website. You can read. We have some very good articles on Alberta, on the UCP, on the Leadership Review, and we will be publishing. Uh, we will be analyzing the what happens tomorrow with the review. So please visit our website and follow our analysis. Um, moving on, there's this the last, last but not least, uh, the Canada Revenue Agency, the CRA. There's a there's a scandal. 
an absolute scandal there. Uh, maybe I'll let Alex introduce this, but yeah, what's going on with the with the CRA? Uh, many people are probably getting notices in the mail about this. Yes, so CRA, Canada Revenue Agency. This is the federal government agency that follows up on tax payments. So this is an object lesson of what Marxists say about the capitalist state. There is one law for the rich and another law for, for the poor. That I think it was, was it Solon, the Greek philosopher, who said the law is like a spider's web. The small get caught and the big tear it up. So there's been a leak. A number of CRA employees revealed thousands of pages of records and revealed their own harassment, being harassed by management by, because they said that they wanted to do their job. They were government workers who wanted to do their job and actually go after a large corrupt corporation that was a, a basically not paying its taxes and uh, the CRA bosses said, no, 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 we're not going to follow up with them. They're not going to have to pay back the taxes, They're not going to be able to pay interest, They're not going to be able to have to pay a fine. doesn't matter if they do a legal activity. That's all for the best of capitalism. And at the very and, and so the, and these workers who were pushing to prosecute, they themselves were victimized, utterly scandalous, just for doing their jobs. And on the other side, the CRA, at the same time it was forgiving big corporations, hiding their names. We still don't know the name of this big corporation. We've still no idea. Oh, privacy, privacy for criminals. Really? C could you imagine them doing that? Uh, you, you go to the newspaper and they talk about some poor soul who shoplifted, you know, and his, his name and face is everywhere, right? And I actually got, go to George Floyd, right? United States, but same thing happens in Canada. What, what, he was supposed to have shoplifted uh, $20 worth of smokes or something, I forget. Uh, and he gets a death sentence. Whereas if you know if you steal millions of dollars, uh, you get a handshake and uh, an invitation to a government party. Uh, whereas if you're a worker, you get a knee on your neck. If you're a black person, you get a knee on your neck. But yeah, same time they're sending out thousands and thousands. I think I think hundreds of thousands of letters harassing people who uh, received the Serb COVID benefit trying to sort of get repayments for that, even though the rollout was rushed, the, rushed, the communications were rushed, they gave people the wrong information. If they, if they were rich corporations, all of this would be written off. But no, they're, they're going after uh, working class people for thousands of dollars, typically you know, 2,000, 5,000, etc. And that's, that's a huge, huge cut in the living standards of working class people. And it's to oppress and vilify workers, force them back into the workplace, unsafe workplaces under COVID. And, uh, and that's the job of the state compulsion against the workers and letting off the rich. It, it, this is textbook Marxism, right? The, all those people who think the law and the state is neutral, 
BS. BS. The state is corrupt. The system is corrupt. The system has to go. Yeah, this is not surprising. I remember when the Liberals started rolling out this uh, $2,000 a month uh, CERB benefit for people under mass pressure. Uh, they were opportunistically uh, implementing this. Uh, not because they're friends of working class people, but because if they didn't do something like that, there would have probably been a, some sort of pitchfork rebellion, to be honest. <laughs> um, I was wondering that this was going to... I thought that this was going to happen. They were playing nice, and now they're going to war to get peanuts from working class people while they gave, as we have we discussed, most of the money they gave was to big corporations and there has been mass abuses. Uh, and yes, working class people, heroes at the CRA, to be honest, are, are basically being like, hey, what the hell? You know, they're calling this out being like, well, you know, don't we track down these big companies? Nope. Uh, personal experience, my partner actually got a letter saying she owes 2000 bucks, $2,000. Like, honestly, we can't afford that. What working, you, what working class person actually, according to statistics, uh, over 50% of working class families are living paycheck to paycheck. 2000 bucks is not something that people can afford. But this government is, uh, it's, uh, and this capitalist state is going to war with working class people, is clawing back meager, tiny amounts <laughs> uh, for, yeah, for what end? So yeah, this, I do believe that, as you've said it, Alex, this demonstrates something extremely uh, well, something that Marxists have always explained about the capitalist state, it is not our state. And that that demonstrates it more clear than anything else. Um, handouts for the bosses and cuts and attacks and clawbacks uh, for working class people. We're already getting, we're already getting penalized for, uh, with inflation. And now they're trying to take back this, this meager little thing that they gave us to barely get by during the pandemic. Um, yeah, Alex. Yeah, the, the logic behind this. Well, when people were receiving the SERB benefit, the the bosses were screaming. So like, how are we supposed to hyper exploit and oppress people if they've got their basic standards of living covered? Right. So they the system relies upon the extreme precarity of the working class in order to force people into minimum wage and uh, part-time shift work, uh, exploitative, oppressive to for force uh, workers to face dangerous situations, harassment, women face sexual harassment due to economic necessity. And, and now the CRA is coming in and sticking the boot in because you've got a lot of uh, workers in the hospitality industry have moved on there's a, they, they complain about a labor shortage that they cannot uh, get uh, workers in these uh, terrible shift work jobs to do those jobs anymore because me people have retrained and moved on to to better jobs well now if the CRA sticks the knife in that people get that much more precarious and then forced to take those terrible low wage jobs so so that's the purpose of the state state it is the stick to beat the workers stick to beat the workers, make us desperate and, make, and force us into these horrendous conditions, right? And that, so there you get the bosses and the state working hand in hand. And that's why we need a recognition. The whole system is corrupt. The whole system has to go. The reformists, we, we talked about the Ontario election and Alberta and the rest of it. The reformists 
they try to tinker with the system uh, with symptoms without getting to the cause. In fact, the, the reformists think that this capitalist state is a neutral body that can be utilized for social good, when in fact it's not a neutral body, it is a highly biased body in favor of the capitalists and can only be, it is set up that way. And the only solution is a revolutionary alternative. Revolutionary alternative and a revolutionary organization. Fight back, la socialist, the international Marxist tendency. Build that revolutionary organization to have a revolutionary perspective for the workers movement. That the labor movement, rather than uniting with bosses, we have to fight for a socialist society. We need to fight for workers' democratic control and socialist planning and a workers' democracy, a workers' state run by us. We need to sweep the decks. This is what Lenin talked about in State and Revolution. Sweep away this bourgeois state. In fact, the federal liberals would say, oh, we've got nothing to do with CRA, which itself is utter bunk. But uh, if it's true, that just proves the point that the system is pro-capitalist, pro-boss and anti-worker in its very DNA. That system has got to be wiped away and we need to build a mass revolutionary movement of workers' democracy. When was the last time you elected your boss? You know, we've got a pseudo semi messed up, not really democracy in politics, but you've got an absolute autocracy in the workplace. Yes workers democracy 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 workers are reps on a workers wage anybody in managerial responsibilities they've got to be on the same wage as workers there's got to be free education and lifelong learning so all workers can take on these technical tasks we already run society not a wheel turns not a light shines without the kind permission of the working class that's why we are building the revolutionary Marxist organization. And that's why you've got to join us. That's everybody listening to this got to join us. The crisis is in the DNA of the system. Capitalism is forced by the state. We need to sweep this away for workers to have their liberation. And more and more people are coming to this conclusion. We will get socialism in our lifetime. That's a good place to end it this week. Uh, yeah, so we appeal to you to join us to fight for a socialist perspective in Canada. Uh, just a last note here before we uh, tune off. Uh, we do this every week, but we will not be doing it next week unless there's something really pressing. Uh, as I mentioned, Fight Back, we have our Congress this weekend. We're going to be extremely busy. So, uh, yeah, uh, but I will, we will see you in uh, two weeks' time. So we will probably do this, uh, I guess, uh, at the end of the month or early June. Um, uh, in two weeks time but I again appeal to you to, to show up we have a couple of key events with Fred Weston from the International uh, here uh, for the next couple of weeks uh, in Montreal and Toronto and if you're in those cities uh, please turn up, turn up to those events uh, to uh, yeah, to learn about uh, the revolutionary legacy of Rosa Luxemburg and the lessons for Canadian workers from the the uh, British miner strike of eighteen, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, nineteen eighty four, eighty five. Um, yeah, so we'll leave it at that for this week, and see you in two weeks.
You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.